Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor. I'm Mike Wayne. Mike, we're back in Rhode Island. What? Back in the costume shop. Back in the costume shop. It's wonderful in here tonight. Yeah, I think uh, Emily put on a new cover to the sewing table even. It's, uh, Ooh, I like the texture. It's nice. It's yeah. Nice. So, as always happens, it seems, we... Uh, Originally thought we had nothing to talk about, and then we started making our list. We're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and that. Oh, yeah, and that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we can't forget about that, even though maybe I want to. (laughs) Indeed. So the first thing I had on the list was uh, Marriott. Um, The hotel chain. The hotel chain, exactly. So we're going to automate all of the curtains in the Marriott hotels. That is not true. Um, (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Like, what did I miss in that meeting? (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, so actually, this story starts long, long ago. (laughs) Back in 2007, I believe. I think I can disable those buttons. (laughs) I don't think so. I bet I can. (laughs) You probably break my fingers, though. Let me get my hammer. Back in 2007, uh, I got a an urgent phone call from our good friends at Ravenswood studio in Chicago saying, Hey, the Marriott resort in Lincolnshire is like just hot to trot on replacing a bunch of automation. And, uh, can you come out here and take a look and, and, um, see what's up, see if you can give us a quote, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm getting on the next plane out. And I flew out there. We spent the day touring the facility, saw everything that they had. They had a bunch of old hydraulic scissor lifts and some, um, we'll call them generously hoists overhead, about 16 of them. And um, we wrote up some quotes, and then uh, that project kind of fell asleep for... Well, it would, it would wake up every few years and we'd quote it again and quote it again and quote it again. But this year, this year, it's actually happening. So, um, the hell you say. <laughs> I know. So it's been 12 years in the making, but we're going to do it. Uh, so it's 16 hoists and 11 scissor lifts. Yeah. And a new HPU. New HPU. Absolutely. A whole Bowels. bunch of stuff. Yeah. 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 Yes. But the thing that I want to talk about tonight is the new hoists. The hoists. And, and the time frame. Sure. Yeah, well. 12 years in the making. 12 years in the making. Six Got weeks six to weeks. build it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way. Uh-huh. That is the way. <clears throat> so, uh, but the new hoists are actually pretty cool. So the things that we're replacing, um, there was a company called Hawkeye Scenic years ago. Um, they're since defunct. But they made some hoists uh, or hoist-like devices. I, I keep saying things like that because they they – they're really just winches. I mean, there's nothing about them that is particularly hoist-like. There's not. They're in so, the air. They are in the air. There's no secondary <laughs> brakes. There's no extra safety features. There's. They are just. Um, they're basically winches. They're like a deck winch in the air. Um, kind of an interesting design, though. They were uh, constructed out of like basically two long runs of Unistrut, and the there were one inch drive shafts that ran the length. It was maybe ten feet or so. It was a long, long thing. Um, it was kind of like having a long line shaft hoist, like a portable line shaft hoist. They're one horsepower. They've got like six inch diameter drums and the drums can be placed anywhere along the drive shaft. 
Yeah, on that Unistrut. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. So that Unistrut, like, yeah, exactly. You can kind of push the uh, push the drums around. So the, I think the concept was like you could, um, the theater itself is in the round. They don't have any fly space. So you, they would, they have these scenic elements that are usually not terribly tall because there's no fly space that can fly down into audience view and then pop back up. But there may be, you know, like light boxes and chandeliers and things like that. <clears throat> so you could position these hoists wherever you wanted in the grid and then place the drums at the appropriate spread to pick up the scenery. Yeah. In practice, they don't do that because they're just too awkward to move around. So they've just kind of bolted them to the catwalks and then they just mule the lines. 10 feet of Unistrut <laughs> in the grid? <laughs> yeah. In a drum? <laughs> right. Bumping into all the lights. <clears throat> so Focus don't. <laughs> Focus don't, exactly. So an interesting concept, but it didn't, you know, it's since lost its luster. Um but we're replacing them. Uh, initially, they just wanted to replace the control system. In fact, I think they still would like to just replace the control system um, just to get Spike Mark in their hands instead of the older system that they have. But um, we can't, in good conscience, uh, put controls on those old hoists um, because yeah. they're missing load brakes and overspeed sensors and all sorts of things. So we said, yeah. We gave them two different quotes. We gave them one for uh, like zero fleet, uh, new zero fleet hoist, dual drop, um, 160 pound capacity. And then another quote for what I'm just calling conventional hoist. So just like fixed drums, uh, you know, hoisting like we've all known and loved for years, but um, nothing fancy, right? And with the idea being that it's just more cost conscious and it yeah. is more cost conscious. Um, it saves about $6,000 per unit to eliminate the zero fleet. Yeah, it's um, a little easier. Like, I mean, it's easier to build. It's easier, really easier to rig. Yeah. You know, yep. no shenanigans through zero fleeting and right. flying leads. And yep. 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 It's kind of easier to understand all that stuff. So, um, yeah. So that's what we, we pitched and they uh, they wanted to go with the conventional because to save some money and fit the budget because they weren't in it. remember they weren't initially expecting to replace all sixteen. All sixteen. Yeah. Like, oh, we just want to replace like two or three or <laughs> something like that, and and we'd like to get the controls for everything, yeah. but yeah, and throw in whatever extra hardware you need. But um, so that's the background of it. But uh, it's been kind of a fun exercise for us to figure out how to make a uh, how to make a hoist to fit these specs, which is actually a size of hoist that we hear a lot of demand for. Like we have our spot line regular, which is 500 pounds and we yeah. got the practical. Which is 15 pounds. Right. Which is less than 500. Yeah. 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 The math checks out. So yeah. <laughs> and in fact, we've gotten in the habit, like at the trade shows, you know what I'm saying? 15, one, five pounds. One, five, one, five. <laughs> so you don't think that we said 50. Yeah. Cause you like, might get oh, your hopes that's up. That's cool. 50. No, nope. nope. 15, 15. Um, and so we've got a lot of requests for like more than 50, less than 200 kind of range. Um, and so this 160 pound spec is actually pretty reasonable, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the speed is, target speed is good. Yeah, and it's a little bit slower than we'd like. But again, to kind of fit within the budget, it's at two feet per second. So we were, we'd love to get three feet out of the thing, but to kind of hit the, 
to get in that horsepower range that they, for the money. Um, and they to definitely have the 160 pound capacity, which they really want with yeah. a design factor, um, which the previous way said zero <laughs> design factor They were, they were rated for 160 pounds. And that was like nameplate peak load. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it'll do it. It's not, yeah. it's not common practice these days to have zero headroom on your design. Um, so anyway, to have a design factor in there and everything, uh, we had to slow the hoist down to be able to fit it into the budget. Um, but it's not bad. It's not bad nonetheless. And, um, so we're trying to like figure out what to do, what to do. Um, and we've had a lot of discussions around how to get, uh, how to pack in the features we want to see and what features are important, what features are important and how are we going to, how are we going to keep those, keep the, the current level of safety. Right. And I thought you had a really interesting way of saying it, right. As we were discussing, uh, how we're going to talk about this topic and you're like, you know, looking back seven years, which was when we developed the original spot line, what's that lens like now, right? Like if we look at the spot line, it spot line regular in our current, through our current lens, like what are the things that we want to see that we could do better than we, what we did seven years ago. And this is an opportunity to try out some of that technology and see what, what really matters, right? right. Yeah. And how to, how to improve and refine the, refine all of those features. Right. Right. Cause one of the things that we wanted to do, well, I guess we can start at the, the top of that, but the, one of those things was, you know, we had a, we obviously had a secondary break on the spotlight major and, um, we will again have a load side break right. on the, on the, these hoists, which were cause these are hoists cause these are hoists. <laughs> exactly. So they have two <laughs> breaks. That's how that works. Um, and we put it on the low speed side. Our second break always goes on the low speed side. It's just how we do. Um, and uh, one of the things that we were looking at as we were value engineering down was that we like by reducing our drum diameter size, which naturally makes our drum a little bit longer, which does create, you know, means that you have more fleet angle problems that you have to get around. Right. Right. Um, so it adds, we started an eight inch drum, but the, uh, cost of the break at the, on the eight inch drum was prohibitive again for the budget. So by decreasing down to a five inch drum, we can get a smaller load break and that cost that saved several sh shaved several hundred dollars off the price that in and of itself. And we're like, well, the load break is important, but the drum diameter is not important. Yeah. Yeah. And how can we do that? And what's our total lift on these things anyway? It's not, we're an eighth inch, eight, right? We're, we're eighth, eighth inch, inch aircraft, aircraft cable. cable. Yeah. So we're packing tighter than quarter inch on the drum anyway. Right. And, but how long are we, uh, what is our total lift on that? So we have 60, 60 feet of yeah. lift capacity. I mean, the lift for those spaces, just like 30 feet right. is all that's required. Yeah. Yeah. So two lines on the drum. Right. Gets us right about where we need to be. Smaller drums equals smaller break. Uh, sm smaller break equals cheaper break. It gets us closer to the, to the what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then we got into a lot of discussion about like, what are we doing with that load break? Because I've had some ideas and you've had some ideas and we've all had lots of <laughs> discussions about like, how do we want to handle this stuff in the future? Like our current way that we do it. Well, what is our current way that we do it, Mike? 
uh, we're running it through the through the VFD on the A800, the PLC code. On so we're tripping that anytime we go into an overspeed or if we have a dry fault or if we're e-stopping. Right. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what are we doing with that? Like, how are we utilizing that information? Right. And getting there. And we're doing this through unverified. unverified. It's certainly not safety rated. Yeah. Right. Like it's a, it's a PLC program that runs inside the A800. And this has worked very well, obviously, through the years for us. But it is just, it is a normal PLC running normal PLC code that handles our, um, the sequencing of the load and motor brake. Right. And so we're, so we're firing, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know what we're, as we're, as we're starting the drive, we're releasing the load brake while we've got the motor brake still on, still engaged. Uh, so as we start, as we start movement, <clears throat> as we start motion, we're releasing the load brake. We're making sure that we're fluxing the motor and then releasing the motor brake and starting the move. And at the end of the move, we're, we're re-engaging the, uh, the motor brake and then the load brake. The, is that right? Load brake and then motor brake. Well, at the end of the movie, so it, it, it's like load brake releases first, then motor brake, we move motor. At the end of the move, load, motor brake, oh, motor, motor brake first, load brake. And load brake, yeah. Yep. And the load brake is slow because it's big. Right. And so we, oh, like in relationship to the movement of the motor, we are always firing the motor brake closest to movement of motor because it's the fastest to react. Yep. And so we've been doing that for, for a long time and our overspeed detection, it actually runs through the A800. Uh, what is that? Is that an EO 5D? <laughs> ah! <laughs> Curse you error code. <laughs> right. And so the, a800 has overspeed detection on it, and um, and that's what we use. An issue with it that we've you know been noodling over recently is that like we are really watching the encoder on the backside of the motor for overspeed, right? And yeah. so, um, if we are if we lose a phase in the motor or something, and the motor doesn't have control over the load, then it's all good. Like then that overspeed detection kicks in and stops the load. But if we lost the connection between the motor and the drum, say we, you know, the gearbox was wrecked or we lost a key or, or, or right. Just something that is, that allows the drum to spin, but not the right. <laughs> encoder on the motor. We have no detection for that. <clears throat> and, um, we've been looking at the, uh, how to, you know, how to rectify that, how to, how to do a better job than that. And one of the things that we've been looking at is the uh, safety modules from Schneider called the Preventas. Uh, lots of people make these things, but we happen to be in the Schneider camp. So um, <laughs> the Preventas from Schneider, they have a programmable one, a little safety controller, and you can add different modules to them. And one of them is an overspeed detection. So you can basically wire your encoder into the overspeed module and then program the safety controller to say, Tell it how fast. Yeah. Like faster than this. At this RPM. Kill it. Yeah. Like, for instance, these hoists, the drums should never move faster than 100 RPM. If they're moving faster than 100 RPM, it is incorrect, and it should stop. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> um, and I think we all 
felt like, yeah, that seems more right, right? If we encode off the drum and watch that for overspeed, that's more directly in line with the load. And we have a better sense of like what's actually happening. Yeah. And then we, then we only need one encoder. Right. And then that exactly. And that was the thing that followed on to that. You're like, well, wait, do we need the second encoder at all? <laughs> then doesn't seem like it. Doesn't really seem like it because we can position off the drum encoder, which will give us great, you know, perfectly fine positioning as long as we get a high resolution encoder. Yeah. Check. Check. <laughs> and one of the other questions was like, well, do we need the feedback on the, on the motor side? And in practice, all it has ever done is cause us some anxiety, like because the the spurious faults we get from the closed loop vector mode on the A800 are more challenging sometimes. Challenging enough that, like, if we're not in overhead lifting situations, we often turn it off. Turn it off. It's like yeah. go back to centralist mode, go back to volt hertz mode, anything. Yeah. Like, get that yeah. drive dumber. <laughs> yeah, anything except closed loop. <laughs> like but you said it was good yes yeah, i know i did yeah, don't listen it's definitely theoretically better <laughs> yeah but I if mean, we want to get the show to work yeah 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 the show to work is the important part i mean i think in the closed loop we have a we have a tighter control ratio right oh absolutely so like yep. we can i think theoretically spin the motor at like 1.7 rpm yes right rpm yeah. so yep. like the motor shaft can spin at 1.7 rpm which is extraordinarily slow yep and i think in open loop it's like 17 or 175 17 i think it's like 17 yeah because then centralized vector mode is a little a little gruffer at 175 right rpm the in a voltage mode yes correct voltage mode. mode yeah yeah yep yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's that progression. But the, the funny thing is that like on many of these drives, the the sensorless mode has gotten incredibly good. Like those control yeah. loops are getting better every release, you know. So what used to be kind of a rocky like 100 to 1 sort of control ratio, and like now these are pushing 400, 500 to 1, which is getting closer to what closed loop used to be mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Um so it's pretty good, and it's certainly much simpler. And then, of course, it's also much cheaper, right, on the yeah. drives. And it doesn't feel so dirty to say, like, well, we're taking money out of the VFD so that we can add money into the safety controller instead and have, like, a SIL-3 rated safety controller that's a watching. what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have, an, have an actual rated safety <laughs> module on board that's doing not only overspeed, but they can also do the cross-groove detection. It can handle ultimate limits. We can move a whole lot of functionality onto the safety controller and then have great redundancy there so that we're not relying on only one or either, you know, we have now basically a third brain in the system, right? So yeah. it's like we have our motion controller, we have the VFD, and we have the safety controller. And the safety controller can have a very strict simple regimen of like i am watching these sensors and i will shut down the drive or i will shut down the power to the motor on maybe even like a sill rated sto circuit what? And, and shut your mouth <laughs> and it starts to just feel very very good because we can not only get it at a not only can we introduce all these safety features but we're putting the money towards the things that really matter yeah you know yeah yeah um, because we were, as we were, one of the other discussion points was like drum manufacturing, right? Because we, we make 
a lot of winch drums. We're going to be making a lot more winch drums to make all these hoists. And we're talking about how long our current winch drum design takes to make. And it's a little onerous at times to crank out winch drums. And we were discussing different ways no to cranking. do it. And no cranking. No cranking. <laughs> it's definitely hand massaging. Um, and and uh, I'd made the, the, the silly statement, right? But like nobody buys our hoists because they're like, I got to get that drum, right? So we're... No, there's no, no value in the there's no value to the customer in our painstaking drum manufacturing process. It's like we got to get this faster because it, drum is a drum is a drum, you know. By the time it like there are points we have to keep in mind to make sure our assembly process works well. But as long as it can wind the rope up, it <laughs> we, we got that's not where the customer's value is. They're not like, "Ooh, check out the drum, man." But like, no, no they want like a a small light strong fast hoist expensive and inexpensive <laughs> exactly so yeah that's cool i think there's some i think there's some pretty awesome topic you know we're i think we've hit on some pretty great topics to yeah on discussing how we're going to move forward where we're going to go you know what the how we can how we can improve all of the pieces to this puzzle well, so the, the anyway. other piece though, that we kind of ignored here on our engineering, on our value engineering of this machine is, are we going to be, it's going to be a smart machine. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely um, controls on board. Controls on board. And um, a big piece of this is single phase. Right. Input. Right. Um, and I think we started out with a dream and the goal of 120 volt input. Right realized maybe that that was a little ambitious right um so we're i think now we're at 220 right we are and it's even you know even as we record this tonight i'm still waffling a little bit back and forth on it um but i'm pretty close because the, one of the problems is that like we can go we can easily go 110 volt single phase if we go um induction motor mm-hmm but on the servo side, to really get the output we're looking for, it's much easier to step up to 220 uh, single phase. So it and the servos have a uh, man. They got some. They got some really good, some really good benefits. They do size and weight. Yeah, in and of themselves. Yeah, like hmm, that motor is a third the size of that one. Yeah. Although surprisingly, the weight isn't that much of a difference, right? Like yeah. I was just I mean, running those weight calcs a lot. <laughs> they are dense. Like I was running the weight, <laughs> weight calcs just tonight again on the most recent go round because we've got a spreadsheet that's got like 12 different motor options for the powertrain of like what we're trying to decide between. And it's uh, seven and a half pounds lighter than the induction motor, which isn't nothing. You know, it's like you got to watch the pounds, you know, but... That's what I, it's my doctor keeps telling oh, me. Oh, Jesus, tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, seven and a half pounds isn't, isn't nothing, but it isn't as much as I kind of imagined it was. Yeah, I guess so. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. But seven and a half pounds makes a difference when you're hoisting that thing yep. 30 feet in the air. It is. It, it's true. And the size is definitely a lot smaller. Like, and so, yeah. which makes, lets us compact the whole hoist. And I, I think that's still where we're going. We are spending, it, it does take budget money away, right? Yeah. Like, cause the induction motor is cheap. Um, but I think it, 
I think it makes sense because if we do, then we do one of the things that we give up with the induction motor on like say an E700 drive is we don't get full torque zero speed, right? Which honestly for scenic hoisting, we don't actually use. Like we, we don't release brakes until we have a little bit of speed behind the motor anyway. And like the E700 does a great job in hoisting applications. We've used it a bunch in the past, not so much on spike mark, but on other things, on other one-off pieces and so on. And in the deck yep. chief team. Yeah. Um, it works nice. It works really, really nice. Um, but with a servo motor, you, you get full torque zero speed. So you certainly could just uh, start out that way. You could just start out that way. Yeah. You know, so, and the dry, well, I have to look at the, let's look at the specs, but I think the, the servo amp is cheaper, or not cheaper, definitely not cheaper, <laughs> um, but I think it's lighter than the E700. Yeah. So I think it saves some, saves some room. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. But definitely the, the motors are smaller. Yeah. So frame smaller. Some, which makes the frame smaller, <laughs> which I think is, which I do think that is pretty, that's a pretty big win just yeah. to get a smaller machine. So. And servos just feels cool. Feels cool. So they're so cute. They are cute. <laughs> and we found a uh in the process we've we talked to a lot of gearbox manufacturers because one of the other problems with servo stuff is that that's you gotta go to every stinking different manufacturer like to get the pieces, you know. Yep. Um and uh in fact we were talking about Mitsubishi and the only way they could hit the timelines was if we sourced the brakes separately. I'm like, nope, I'm no. not, nope. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Nope. <laughs> this is already too much of a pain. Um, but trying to find speed reducers. Like, you can go to like KEB or SEW and get a, a get servo it. motor stuck on a old cast iron speed reducer, but that feels like you're really kind of missing the point. Um, the, I mean, you know, it makes sense in some machines. Mm -hmm. that, like if, if it's, if the powertrain isn't the heaviest thing in your machine, it certainly doesn't matter. But for us on this voice, this it one is. It does, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but uh, Onvio, O-N-V-I-O, uh, which is actually up in New Hampshire nearby. And they have incredibly, they have decent prices on planetary gearboxes and uh, fast turnaround. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And that looks pretty awesome. Yeah, and they come in orange. So on win, brand. win, win, win. On brand. On brand. <laughs> we'll match our cable. That's right. That's true. <laughs> we'll match the cable. Yep. I don't know. Anything else to say on that, Mike? No. Not okay. yet. Next yeah, one. Next one. We'll see. We'll see how all these yeah. highfalutin ideas <laughs> really turn out. I mean, like, how many of those red boxes you got in there? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need a bigger box. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be super. So what else is going on? Boof. What else is going on? I mean, uh, we're hopping into a, we're hopping into a new TV studio with our friends from mystic, um, down in New York city. Got five tracking panels. Um, plus a couple other crazy things that we're working on in that same studio. Um, it looks like those five tracks are going to be push stick minis. Yeah. Push stick minis. Or, or maybe beam. they should be chain beam. No, no, no. Mini. Oh, okay. Oh, what about chain beam instead? Uh, I think mini. I think a <laughs> mini would be good. <laughs> There's uh, been wait. a little bit of back and forth. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Did I say mini? <laughs> I'm in chain beam. I'm in chain beam. 
Um, yeah, because we were talking about how to how to kind of get this. The timeline is is extraordinarily aggressive. Yeah, everyone wants their stuff done in like four or five weeks. Yeah, all the same four or five weeks. All the same four or five yeah. weeks, and we have the same four or five guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so we were like, you know, how can we get these tracks in? The last time we did a studio with the the last summer with the first push stick mini, um, with the prototypes of the push stick mini. We got a little bent up trying to get the pieces in and get the um, get all the rigging done and be ready for the scenery to go in and go on to the tracks and all the stuff. So we were like, maybe a maybe chain beam would be good because we could just get the piece up and in. Yeah, right. Um, and be done. Right, and so it'd all be kind of pre-rigged on the ground and yeah. have to no muling, roping. Yep, no yep. roping, yep. no shenanigans. Right. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, hey, so uh, they still need that in like four to five weeks, right? We don't have a chain beam machine. <laughs> right. We're like, oh, so more design. More design. Yeah. Um, so I think I think we finally landed on. Push stick minis. Push stick minis. Yeah. Hanging from the grid. Yep. Because we, we also had four of them in the production queue for stock. Anyway, and so we, we needed five. We needed yeah. five, so, so we can make one more, yeah. and we'll be done. Yeah, yeah, that seemed to work out. The math seemed to work out with the weeks, right? And so the design time gets spent instead, like just designing pulleys, pulley mounts, right? And we have we have the turnarounds, I think, already, right? And you know, and now it's just mules, right? Eh, it gets a little easier. Um, so that's kind of cool. I think I think that's going to be a slick, yeah, setup. You know all of the other pieces that usually go along with tracking led panels. It's like, you know, who's doing the, who's doing the cable management. Does anybody want to own it? Cable management. Oh my God. I want to own it. Nobody will tell us what cable they want. They're like, no, 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 no. We, that, that is on a need to know basis. You don't need to know. We're on the, we're in the first production meeting that we'd been brought into the, they've had it. It's been ongoing, but they didn't bring us in until quite a bit later. And, uh, our good friend, Ben, at Mystic was railed, like waxed poetic about how bad of an idea having a festoon would be versus uh, cable chain. Because the the studio folks were like, "Well, you're going to need festoons on that tracks." And he's like, "We are not going to need festoons. Festoons are disgusting. They're ugly." My <laughs> my grandfather didn't fight in the Second World War to come back here and put festoons on. <laughs> like, I'm not going to have any of that Nazi stuff. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, and we had done a nice layout of how festoon would be perfect. Like actually festoon would be kind of good. Kind of all right with this It'd one. It'd be nice on this one. And there, by the time we came back with that, they're like, no, we heard festoons were terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you just heard it yesterday. You just heard it yesterday. <laughs> Can you undo that hearing? Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Like, Done. No festoons for anybody. Uh, so, so I guess cable chain, I guess cable chain. And um, that's going to make everybody happy, especially the lighting designer. Both. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it means that we got to take up, suck up more of the lighting grid for cable chain. Yep. And then you get to hear the cable chain running. Mm-hmm. Yep. Many rollers. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think anyway, it's going to be cool, though. It's going to be great. It's a super fast, you know, again, super, super quick. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a pretty slick, pretty slick install when it's done. Yeah, for so, sure. And we're working on two other crazy machines, little counterweight assist moves for the window treatment yeah 
Um, that's still primordial at this yeah, point. Right? Yeah, it's it's ooze. Yeah, see <laughs> we'll see what, what see what comes out. Yeah. Went from one from horizontal louvers to some like art artistically placed plexiglass to you know Monday it'll probably be vertical louvers. Right. Yeah. But whatever, it's cool. Yeah, I think it might be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think anything else on Fox. Is there anything else on Fox? No, I don't think so. And then uh, we're doing uh, some work on a tour of Jesus Christ Superstar. We've got the um, cross effect that has to lay down, and it starts in the deck. Has to raise up, get a prop or not prop, but the scenic cross applied to this mm-hmm. beam, and then it goes up. Somebody gets on it. I guess Jesus, probably. <laughs> I think that's the plot. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he tracks down stage mm-hmm. on the cross. On yeah, on the cross. Yeah. On the cross. And this is all on a. This whole beam assembly can pivot. Right. Like in a big arc. Yeah. Fortunately, that's not automated. Yeah. I believe that is automated. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so we've been we've been beating on that for a little bit about how to how to get through the risk analysis and like where things could go and how things could go wrong and how to how to There's avoid the surprising amount of risk, right? Like so, I mean, it all story start like it started with a quote that I did that was just like ah it's like a heavy duty trick line and a <laughs> paparuni thing something doop doop do and then uh so we then we get the job and we're looking at it and we have like the design meeting where we're looking at all of these <laughs> all well not even this I mean the the risk analysis meeting mm-hmm. and we're like well there's a lot of potential problems here right yeah. like we have this you know basically sword that like chops down into the deck and if anyone um, is has their foot across yeah. the slot where this thing is going to try to drive back down flush to the deck? That's going to cause some serious damage. And similarly, if like the the scenic cross is still on there and it really yeah. shouldn't be allowed to move back then, but so a lot more safety bumpers and interlocks and all sorts of stuff that was all very very useful and that was actually really good process to go through and, and it was one of those things where it was a it was actually an excellent meeting it was yeah, yeah. it's like one of those pieces that i talk about in the seminar where I'm like you know this is really best done in a group i'm not kidding like a group yeah like, oh yeah like uh, a whole group setting yeah yeah no, the, the group thing is really important for risk yeah. analysis right because like everybody's got their blind spots and everyone and then just that dynamic of one person has an idea and that prompt somebody else to have an idea and you really you really ratchet down um the list of like or really i guess the other way around like you really expand the list of all expand your thinking about all of the potential risks that could right. yeah that it, exist yeah, yeah potential risk and then like you know really the solution to those risks and i think we talked ourselves out of after looking a little bit of like one or two but we found yeah. eight more or something <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah it was cool it was good it was good it was a very good process and yeah we're about to start fabrication or I mean, we started we started yesterday yeah. friday friday yeah like fab- yep 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 
And uh, yeah, and it's got a fairly brisk timeline now too. It was, yep. it took a long time through the kind of designing phase and a lot of like back and forth with the client and the art team and stuff. And then now as a, you know, as these things happen, it's like now we're kind of in the hot seat to get it done. So here we are. It, go figure. Mm-hmm. Once again. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing I thought we were going to be good to touch on is, you know, you and Cody were out uh, on a couple of jobs recently, uh, putting in some large, um, I guess, rentals or kind of combination rentals plus what people owned. But yeah. in any case, like multi, like more than 10 axes shows um, and where some of the gear was coming from us, but then also we were providing some on-site service. And... Uh, and I, I think that there was some some head scratching towards the end of it about like, hey, is this, you know, did this go as well as it could? <laughs> there was no right? head scratching. I don't think. <laughs> um, the yeah, no, I think it was it was an interesting it was an interesting process. Like in the middle of it, it was it was a little challenging. Where it was, uh, I think the the biggest one it was thirteen. We had thirteen rental axes. Yeah. Um, plus two other axes that were owned by the by our customer so 15 total that is not a little show right um you know at least i don't know as we were talking earlier i kind of think anything over like four right gets to the place where it's like no now we kind of think about this yeah we have to think about this like there's probably more than one pd right right um you know maybe we want more than one network switch Right, <laughs> <laughs> just to make it better, um, and we, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting it was interesting to be part of and to get there and you know what we were doing, but you know it was uh, it was also a little challenging to right. identify like what our role was because in this particular case we weren't we didn't plan it right we were just hired in kind of as like well just on site support. But that is so nebulous, yeah. like what that means. And I think, you know, when it's not clearly defined like that, everyone ha- ends up having kind of different expectations, right? When we we didn't really have enough of the pre-planning knowledge to know exactly what was going to, you know, how these things were going to be done. And unfortunately, the you know, the and the customer, I think, was hoping that once we showed up, we would be in charge. And it's like, well, we could do that but we would need to do a whole bunch of preparation to be ready for that level of engagement. Right. right. Yeah. And you know, and there were, I think there were some big challenges and it was an ambitious, you know, not only the number of axes, but also the rigging and the installation of it was a pretty ambitious project. There were multiple tracks with multiple pieces rigged on it. Some pieces tracking left to right and flying. So there was, you know, there were, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot. There was, and it it was not straightforward. They were not simple, like, here's the turntable and a deck track. I mean, there were, there was one turntable and one deck track. (laughs) Those were easy. (laughs) Yes. Right. Those, uh, but then multi-axis effects after that. Yeah. Yeah. And rigging, you know, rigging tracking panels to run the full width of the stage on the same panel adds a whole nother dynamic of challenge in there. Um, and we used uh, two of your favorite machines, Gary. Oh, what'd you use? The curtain call. Mm. 
<laughs> that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it was, um, the, we rigged those up. Uh, Cody and I, I started out there and it became apparent that in the first, I don't know, six hours that I didn't think we were going to actually get. Right. We were not going to get to the place where I thought we, I needed to get them to in right. order to maintain their schedule and get through all of those pieces. Um, and so I, uh, <laughs> so I, I was like, I think you were like, uh, so do you need Cody to come up there? Do you need somebody to come from here? Like we're, you know, um, and, uh, and so Cody came up, he was on site in Texas yep. and got on a plane and came to Chicago the next day. Right. And so then he and I had three full days beyond my first day. Right. And we got not quite all of them done before we left. Right. Um, we got almost every, we got one of every kind done. Right. And the, which was, there's like a prototype there for the, for the others. Yeah. For them to follow along. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think it was like, you know, it, to your point, like we weren't part of the planning of it. So like my ideas and my concepts of how we plan a big show, I think are just very, were very different in this particular point. Right. Right. Um, and so, well, there's a whole level of prep work that I think doesn't necessarily naturally come to the scene shop. I mean, not, this is, this is a broad generalization, obviously. And there are plenty, you know, there are plenty of exceptions to this, but like, I think most scene shops are focused on things to build, right? Yeah. Like what has to get built? Well, that if it has to get built, it has to get drawn. It has to get budgeted. It has to get planned. It has to get on the work schedule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But then when it comes to the automation, especially if it's stock equipment or equipment you're renting in, you're like, I, it kind of doesn't fit that workflow. It's right. almost more of a workflow of like the, like the electrics crew, right. Mm-hmm. Of like, light plots and cable management and, you know, cable, you know, cable routing plans and mm-hmm. patch plans and a lot more paperwork and scheduling, uh, you know, paper schedules, like a schedule of equipment sort of scheduling yeah. um, that I don't think naturally necessarily lines up with the normal scene shop load in. No. And I think, you know, interestingly in this case, there was some, like there was a cable plan and it was, uh, it was just not, uh, I had not, it would not, it was not apparent to me immediately what it was and where it was, but there was something there. And, um, so it wasn't that there was nothing. Right. But, um, but I think but I, it wasn't like a full blown system diagram either. Right. Like, yeah, like, right. Like, cause like when we lay out a thing like that, we have a line diagram that shows every piece of equipment and what the, yeah. all the cables that go to it and what the lengths are and where we're putting them. Yeah, where yeah. we're putting them. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, just uh, in just in February did like 10 axes, right? With the Houston Ballet, right? Houston Ballet. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we made a we made a concerted effort to, you know, that I think was just our point of clarity because we were brought in to oversee it and to own it. Right. So it was a it was really the, the comment and the question is like, you know, what is our role as we go? to try and to try and get to get to the finish line, get to the point of success for everybody. For everyone. Like, as as you said, like our, 
you know, the customer's goal, right, is to get to tech and have automation have it not working, have it working and have automation not cause any delays during tech, right? Yeah. And our goal is to get everything working and get out. You right. know, that is, you know, <laughs> not like in a, you know, we, not in an aggressive way, but just like we, our goal is to hand it off. I mean, we want yeah. to get everything working, make sure it's in good working order and have a thing that somebody else can run because we're not going to be there to run your show. Right. And we want to leave it in the state where it's ready for that. And so to get everybody, you know, to make everyone happy with the end result uh, means that it's like some, some amount of clarity up front about what everyone's going to be responsible for. And then secondly, like if we're going to, not to sound snotty about it, but like we shouldn't be brought in as the labor for this, right? Like our, the best use of our time is not to like come in and, and uh, just move the winches into place for you. We're not afraid to move winches into place for you, but it's like it, we're better used when we, when we start earlier in the process and say like, where should the winches go? And how, how much cable are we going to need to get that done? And what is, you know, how are we going to place the mules and how are we, you know, lay it all out. Um, but of course that costs money too. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. It all costs money. It's a, uh, yeah, but it's an interesting path of like, of identifying or trying to, trying to navigate and identify what is, what is the, what is the successful end result? Right. You know, um, you know, I think a couple of the funny things in this particular job, once we got to the place, we're able to really actually dig into what I th think we were really there to do. It was illuminating to some of the crew about like how to effectively rig a push stick. Right. You know, or what, what we think is the most efficient method. Right. Um, and also, you know, like some tricks with the, with your favorite machines, the curtain calls, <laughs> Right. you know, what do we do? How do we actually like, how do you get it so that you got, you've taken the slack out of it. Right. You know, it's like we hung two of them and took the slack out with a come along and right. a couple of the crew were like, Oh, Oh, that's how those are supposed to be. Right. Yep. Oh yeah. Very yep. tight. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Go until the baton starts looking like an S and back off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I think that that like, uh, only bring that up because I think that is, uh, that was one of the more successful moments or it felt more successful. We're able to be like, Oh, look, we're putting this stuff together. We're actually, yeah. you know, like I think that we're doing it well. Yeah. And hopefully, Hopefully we're also creating an environment, you know, where it's helpful. So next time they can do it. Yeah. Successfully and hopefully get to the path of success quicker. Right. No, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a challenge as we kind of navigate this. It, it, we were talking about before the podcast. It was about 18 months ago that we started asking the question internally of like, is this the work we want to be doing, right? Do we want to shift this hard into the services role from what we've traditionally done, which is more that kind of product and support, but services is a, is a different ball game. Yeah. And, uh, and we're committed to doing it, but it, but we're still feeling our way around the, how do we do it? Well, <laughs> right. The, and, the intricacies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, on, on the good front, we hear that the show is going well. So that it wasn't, it's more about the internal frustration of like, hmm, this process is not good. Like we want to, yeah. yeah, make this process right and get, make it clearer from the outset, you know, what our expectations are, what the client, what their expectation should be, et cetera, et cetera.
Yeah. Yeah. A little, you know, a tight lined and tight lined to walk. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> in, in many ways, it's not unlike anything else you do, right? Where it's like, yeah, everything gets built twice. First time should be on paper. Right. And it's like, even the installation is that way. And that's again, kind of a, can be a new concept sometimes to introduce. Like, yeah, yeah. No, we're really going to plot it all out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, all right. Anything else on that? No, I think that, I think that covers it. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So at, we're, we're at a stunningly short episode. It's only 52 minutes with like eight minutes of babbling about what the sound's doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will see you next time.